Thank you. That was tremendous. I have two former roommates and one former RA in that group. You seniors will remember that Dave was the chaplain our freshman year. And let me adjust this. And also was my RA my freshman year, so I hadn't seen him in three years. He's married to Dan's sister. And you'll remember that Dan was the bass player in the chapel band last semester. I'd like to just leave you with some closing thoughts over the next uh, 10 or 15 minutes. I called my dad this morning and said, Dad, I'm preaching in chapel today. He's been a preacher for 30 years. I said, I have kind of a cold. Do you think I should go to the store and get some drift stand or something like that? He said, no, they'll feel sorry for you, so don't take anything. So I'm here unmedicated, <laughs> unplugged. I'd like you to turn with me to Philippians chapter 2 this morning. Just about 15 minutes. I want to challenge you on a couple of things. I was really excited that these men are using their talents for the Lord. I, I had a chance to room with Tim and Dan and just really get to know them. And you guys that have played basketball with them before know that they play dunk balls about as well as they sing. So not only do they beat up on you on the athletic field, but they come and sing like there's no tomorrow. Some things that, that I noticed three or four months ago, three months ago, as a result of the earthquake that really caused me to think, and I think that you saw these things in the secular society as well as on our campus, uh, as well as in your churches, um, I think that one of the things, the elements that the earthquake brought to us here in Los Angeles and in this area was a real spirit of unity. You saw that even in the secular world. You saw people joining together and, and in a world that's normally selfish, in a world that normally thinks only of itself, uh, encourages people to think only of themselves, people for a short time kind of seem to join together. You saw that on our campus here. We had a couple of people in our church that lost their homes. We had a guy who lived in a mobile home park that caught on fire over on Soledad Canyon. You might remember that a couple of those places went up in flames. He's an elder in our church. And while the place was on flames, he had to climb out the window because his house was completely destroyed. He went from house to house shutting off the gas because they were all on fire and evacuating people. Just acting selflessly. I was thinking through what would have his motivation for doing that. Would he have had any selfish motivation for doing that? seems like in a time of crisis sometimes, in a time of emotional trauma, we seem to join together for a unity. Uh, the thing is, is that that unity is so often so temporary. It brings us this temporary unity. You remember sitting in the cafeteria, having John MacArthur come over and really make us feel like we were all in this together. Uh, really, you know, you kind of feel like since he's the Bible teacher that he is, you know, he's got this authority to make the earthquake go away. And I felt pretty comfortable when he was talking to us. But uh, I live off campus, so I drove over here. Uh, actually, I lost my keys. You know, this is interesting. I didn't have a flashlight during the earthquake. Didn't own one at all. I now have seven flashlights. <laughs> Serious. Went to Price Club, Coleman, seven Coleman flashlights for $7. I've got them everywhere. So, But that was interesting. I couldn't find my keys, so my roommate drove me over here during that time. Um, but you remember that, that temporary unity that you felt that morning? You remember that unity that you felt as you went back and we all pitched in and we cleaned up for each other and really helped each other out? Uh, you helped out in the communities. They were giving away water over in my neighborhood where I live. Um, it seems like every once in a while as Christians, we go through an emotional experience. We go through a time, uh, whether it's even something like Wow Staff Retreat, where you come back, you've been out of Christian fellowship for the whole summer. You know, th those first couple of days of Wow Staff, I'm so friendly to everybody. I say hi to people I don't even know. I'm talking to everybody. So excited to be around Christians. 
But it seems like you get into the busyness of school and you just kind of forget what it's like to think of others. I know that as soon as I get busy, I instantly become more selfish. I think of my busyness. I think of the things I've got to do. Not so concerned about being unified, not so concerned about being humble and thinking of others as I was during that time. You know, and as soon as the aftershock stopped, you know, I live with five other guys in a five-bedroom house. Most couple of them go to seminary. All of them graduated from here last year. And, you know, we'd get those jolts in the middle of the night, and we'd all get up and go outside. And the night of the earthquake, we were running outside, and then we'd come back in because I couldn't find my keys. And the next one would hit, and I'd run back out again. You know, and so we got really close during that time, but now it's just kind of, it's just kind of backed off. We've kind of, kind of become more comfortable with our surroundings again. What I was wondering is that unity that we feel during that time, as you're here for Wow Staff Retreat, or as you go on Majesty Retreat or Corral Tour, and as you feel, you develop that bond with a group of Christians. You develop that unity with a group of people. How can you keep that unity? that unity that the Scripture seems to tell us that we need to have as believers. I remember my roommate for two years, Kyler Welch, Kirk's older brother, uh, went to Russia with Majesty, and Rick Osborne is the last, last student here at the school that went on that trip. And I remember them talking about the fact that they sang with the Russian believers in the church and that there was an instant unity among them, and that the Russian believers, just because they were Christians, instantly looked at them like brothers. There, there didn't seem to be a lot of barriers between them, but they instantly, they would sing together, and the Russian people would cry when they were about to leave. And there was just a real spirit of unity that we really lack. You know, I know that I lack that. And I would say I'm involved in a ministry in a local church here, and just looking at the state of the church, traveling with majesty and seeing some different things, we don't have that unity as a group of believers as a whole. We don't have that unity in our churches. So what I want to do is just take probably, we just have 10 or 15 minutes, and look at what the Scripture has to say about unity. What does Paul have to say to the Philippian church about unity? Um, he talks about a selfless attitude. He talks about giving. So look at Philippians chapter 2, and I'm going to read verses 1 through 5 for you. Philippians 2, 1 through 5. If therefore there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion... Make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind let each of you regard one another as more important than himself. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. And just to tell you, um, Paul was writing this from prison. He was in prison, and he sent this, and a messenger came to him and brought him news from the church at Philippi, which you might remember the church at Philippi was started out of the Philippian jailer's conversion. Remember hearing that story when you were a little kid? The Philippian jailer, Paul and Silas were in jail. That's how this church began, the church at Philippi. And Epaphroditus uh, was a man that Paul really seemed to respect, and he was a man that brought a message from the church at Philippi to Paul while he was in prison. Uh, the church at Philippi was really supportive to Paul. They'd supported him financially in the past. They'd, they'd really prayed for him and uh, had been very supportive of his ministry and were kind of taking care of him while he was in prison, too. So Epaphroditus brought this message. At the same time, uh, he brought news of some strife and some, some possible division in the church. So he brought some good news and some bad news. 
And this is what Paul sends back with Epaphroditus uh, for the church at Philippi. Um, some things to say about unity here and some things to say about humility. Those two things work together. Having a selfless attitude and being unified. You know as well as I do that if you have, if you always are, are thinking of yourself, you're never thinking of unity, you're never thinking of each other. So what I want to do real quickly is give you four reasons why Paul tells the church at Philippi that they need to be unified. And then I'm going to give you four responses why he gives the church as to how they need to act because of those reasons. Okay, here's the four reasons. Okay? Philippians 2.1. First one, if there is therefore any encouragement in Christ. There's the first reason. Paul tells them they need to be unified because we have encouragement in Christ. You can think of, the NIV says encouragement in being united with Christ. You can think of some reasons why we have encouragement in Christ. Because he's conquered death. We have security in our salvation. Romans 6.23 tells us that we have eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Um, another thing is that Christ is unchanging. No matter how sinful we are, we know that Christ is always there to receive us. We know that He doesn't change, no matter how fluctuating and unstable that we are. So the first thing that Paul tells the church why they need to be unified is because of the encouragement that Christ has provided through uniting with Christ. Second thing, consolation in love. If there is therefore any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love. Uh, Paul says that if there is any comfort in Christ's love, that's also an exhortation to unity. You can see the word if there, that can also be translated since. We know that since we have encouragement in Christ and since we have comfort of love, you can think of times when the love of Christ has really comforted you. I know there have been times in my life, um, one of which three years ago when I had to go overseas, the freshmen here remember that, I got called up as a reservist, to go over to Desert Storm and went through a whole lot of experiences where I felt really lonely. felt really lonely leaving here. For the first time in my life, I felt like I was in God's will and I was here at the Master's College. I was excited to study the Bible. Got called away and felt really lonely. And, and the thing that kept me encouraged through that time was Christ's love. So you know that there is consolation in love. So that's the second thing that Paul urges the church. So encouragement in Christ and consolation of love... Thirdly, he says, if there's any fellowship of the Spirit, since we have fellowship of, of the Spirit, fellowship with the Spirit. You remember from your theology classes, the ministries of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a comforter for us. Uh, he's a convictor. He gives us security. The word here that's used for fellowship kind of means a partnership, it means a communion. So if we have a communion with the Holy Spirit, encouragement in Christ, consolation of love, and fellowship with the Spirit, lastly, if we have any affection and compassion. We know the tender, that word means affection there. If you have the King James, it says bowels and mercies. What that means is kind of the tenderness that Christ shows us and expects us to show each other. Based on these four things, Paul tells the church at Philippi, who, who seemed to be struggling with false teachers from without, it, it seemed like that was threatening the unity. Also, there seemed to be these two women in the church. Maybe they were prominent figures that were bickering back and forth. Uh, they were they were dividing the church. Perhaps people were taking sides. Maybe they had a, it doesn't say what they disagreed about. But Paul's urging them to be united. He's urging them as a group of believers, you need to be united. Um, now I'm going to give you the four things that he tells us based upon these four motivations. Because we have encouragement in Christ, look at verse two. He tells us to make His joy complete by being of the same mind. Because we have encouragement in Christ. 
we are to be of the same mind. We're to be of the same mind as Christ. That means we're to choose every action as if Christ were standing right beside us. We're to choose every action as if Christ were making the decision. Have you ever read the book In His Steps? Some of you read that book. The book In His Steps is a story. Somebody gave me that book three years ago. It's a story uh, of a man who, who, I think it's set in the 1920s. It's been a while since I've read it. But it's of a man who challenges his congregation to never make a decision for a whole year without first asking what would Christ do in this situation. So we're to have the mind of Christ. We're to be like-minded. We're to make every decision as if what would Christ do in this situation. Because we have encouragement in Christ, we're to be like-minded. Secondly, our second responsibility is that we're to have the same love. Because there's comfort in love, because we're consoled with the love of Christ, we're to have the same love that Christ has for us. Um, that love was so powerful that it sent Christ, Christ came to die on the cross for our sins. Um, John 13, 34 and 35 says, A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. This is my command, love each other, John 15, 17. Christ commands us to love each other. Paul urges the church at Philippi here to have the same love that Christ had for them. Uh, you can go later on maybe and look at 1 Corinthians 13. That talks about, you've all read that before, the love chapter. That tells us what love is. It tells us how we should be acting as Christians in a spirit of love, by having that same love. So you can go to 1 Corinthians 13 and see that love is patient and love is kind. Love doesn't envy and love doesn't boast. It's not proud. We're to have the same love. Thirdly, we're to be united in spirit. That's the third thing. Because we have fellowship with the Spirit, we're to be united in spirit with each other as believers. Um, when we went earlier this year, we had an intramural football all-star team that went down to Biola. And we ended up winning the whole thing. You remember that you saw a thing up there? I never, you know, I met Alex Montoya. You guys know Alex Montoya Jr. Here probably, <laughs> Steve Hunter was laughing over there. Met Alex Montoya three or four weeks before that game. I'd never really met him. By the end of that day, we were just buds, you know. And I, I see Alex now, and we have this instant bond because we were the offensive linemen, the guys that get no glory. At the end of the day, Alex's eye was swollen shut, and he couldn't move his knee. And, you know, but we were, the reason I'm, I'm saying this to you is because we were totally united that day. We, were, we didn't bicker with each other as a team, except maybe once or twice. But we were totally united that day. And we were united in spirit. Have you ever seen a team, you ever seen a basketball? We've seen them here on our court as we're killing people. Teams that are fighting among each other. you ever seen a team that's not united in spirit? What do they accomplish? Not a whole lot. You know, if you see a basketball team where the five guys on the team are mad at each other, what are they going to accomplish? They're not going to win. They're going to look disunified. They're going to look like they don't know what's going on. They're going to be all confused. And if you've ever seen a team like that, they're usually not winning. For starters, if they're winning, they wouldn't be mad at each other to start out with. They'd probably be happy with each other. But we need to be united in spirit. You can see that if we're, not, we're united in spirit, um, let me tell you some reasons why we need to be united. Is First of all, we're, we're all united in Christ as believers. We're all one. Um, secondly, we're to, we're to be united with each other. And this is something that I think is extremely important. We're to be united as an example of Christ to the world. You know, people look at us every day, and statistics say with things like divorce and uh, all kinds of different things that there's not a great 
standard of difference among Christians than there is of non-Christians. And if there's any reason that we, we need to be united, besides the fact that we're all united in Christ, and besides the fact that as believers we're told to be united, is that people constantly look at us. People constantly look at our lives. And when you get out in the church, and let's say you're in the workplace, and you have there's another Christian. If if you're bickering with that Christian in the workplace, what are the people around going to look at you and think? You're going to be no different from them. So that's another reason we need, we need to be united as an example of Christ to the world. Because if the world looks at us and sees that we have unity, they're going to see that there's something different. Lastly, we're to be intent on one purpose. That's the fourth thing. Uh, we're to be intent on one purpose. The first one was first one was to be like-minded. The second one was to have the same love. The third one was united in spirit. And the fourth one is intent on one purpose. We're to set our mind on things of the Lord on one purpose. We're to be wholly devoted to that purpose as Christians. What's our purpose? Our purpose is to glorify God. That's our purpose as believers. Everything else falls underneath that net. We glorify God by living our lives for Him. We glorify God by sharing, sharing Him with others, by telling others of Him. Through everything that we do... In living our lives in a godly way, Christ receives glory. I'd like to go on just lastly, wrapping this up, to the next two verses. And how do we obtain this unity? Paul tells us here to be unified. He tells us why we need to be unified and that we need to be unified. But how do we obtain this unity? In the next couple verses, I'm going to read verses 3 and 4 for you here. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind let each of you regard one another as more important than himself. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. It says do nothing from selfishness or, or empty conceit. I was thinking this week, I was sitting, a couple days ago, I was sitting in my chair wondering, I wonder what percentage of things I do out of selfishness or empty conceit. And I thought, I wonder if I do 80% of the things that I do out of selfishness. And I'm not really sure, but I know that more, I do more out of selfishness than I do otherwise. In relationships with people, most of the time I want to get my way. Uh, most of the time, if somebody has a disagreeing opinion, I want to be right. Most of the time. Most of the time, um, now there are times, there are times because I'm genuinely concerned about spiritual growth, and so there are times when I think selflessly. Every once in a while, you know, once a week or so it happens. But for the most part, I think selfishly. Now, what does Paul tell us here? What does Paul tell the church here to apply to us also? Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. That's a, that's a big task right there. Selfishness isn't to motivate anything we do. Now, you know that our society pretty much pumps selfishness at us, so if you pay any attention to society at all, you're not, you're not going to have that mentality about you at all. Um, he goes on to say... He goes on uh, to say... But with humility of mind, let each of you regard one another as more important than yourself. Dave Beto said something during Wild Staff Retreat this year that I haven't forgotten, and you guys that were at Wild Staff will remember it. Dave Beto said, I'll be a servant whenever I feel like it, just don't ask me to be a servant. Remember when he said that? And I've thought about that many times. I don't know that I can say that I put it into my life very often, but I've thought about it many times. It's easy to be a servant when we feel like being a servant, but the minute somebody asks us to be a servant... It's like, don't you ask me to be a servant. I'll serve you when I please. We're to do nothing from emptiness uh, or selfish conceit. Uh, we're to do everything in thinking of others, in esteeming and regarding others more highly than ourselves. Being selfless means being humble. 
Um, I want to read you a quote real quick. Let's see if I have it here. This is about an evangelist named Watchman Nee. Watchman Nee, the Chinese evangelist, tells of a Christian he once knew in China. He was a poor rice farmer, and his fields lay high on a mountain. Every day he pumped water into the paddies of new rice. And every morning he returned to find that an unbelieving neighbor who lived down the hill had opened the dikes surrounding the Christian's field to let the water fill his own. For a while the Christian ignored the injustice, but at last he became desperate. What should he do? His own rice would die if this continued. How long could it go on? The Christians met, prayed, and came up with this solution. The next day the Christian farmer rose early in the morning and first filled his neighbor's fields, then he attended to his own. Watchman Nee tells us how the neighbor subsequently became a Christian, his unbelief overcome by a genuine demonstration of a Christian's love for others. We're to esteem others more highly than ourselves. That goes against the grain of everything that we are. You understand that? It goes against everything that we are. The minute I'm in a disagreement with you about anything, I'm thinking about myself. You know, and it's the hardest thing. You know if you're in a relationship with somebody or, or with just with a friend, it's the hardest thing in the world for me to do to give in when I think I'm right or, or to give in when I know that I've been personally offended. But we're always to esteem others more highly than ourselves. We're to do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. Um, how can you acquire this humility? C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity said, If anyone would truly like to acquire humility, a selfless attitude, I think I can tell them the first step. The first step is to admit that one is proud. That's the first thing that we have to see. That left to ourselves, left on our own, our choice will always be Satan's choice. Most likely. Every once in a while you might do something for a, a false motivation that will appear to be giving to others. But we need to admit that we're a selfless people. We really are... We don't think of others. Um, we need to humble ourselves before God. They read uh, Isaiah. And Isaiah said, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. Peter said, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. If we can truly say these things, we'll have little cause for placing ourselves above somebody else. If we can truly say... God, I'm sinful. Paul said we would look at Paul as one of the godliest, maybe the godliest man that we've ever seen. I know John MacArthur, when asked the question, who has been the greatest inspiration in his life, answers the Apostle Paul. Paul made the statement, I'm the chief of all sinners. He didn't say I'm a sinner, not all. He said I'm the chief of all sinners. We need to understand that we're proud and we need to humble ourselves with, humble ourselves before God. The last thing I want to challenge you to do is that this isn't a one-time decision. You can't make a one-time decision and say, God, I want to be selfless. Help me be selfless. You can't make that one-time decision. It has to be a daily renewal. It has to be a daily commitment to God, help me to be selfless today. Help me to think of others today. There's a guy on this campus who's been a great inspiration to me. And just for, for sake of not um, embarrassing him, I'm not going to say who he is, but there, there's a guy that's been here for a couple years on the campus that I've gotten to know that has just grown tremendously. I saw him come in. He was only saved three or four years ago. And he's one of the few people that I've ever seen that really demonstrates a selfless attitude. And I think that he commits to that every day. As Christians, we need to commit to that every day. We need to commit to living selfless today. That's the only way that we can be unified as believers. That's the only way that we can be intent on one purpose, as Paul tells us to be right here. This daily fellowship with Christ. Paul said, without him we can do nothing. Paul also said, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. 
So this daily relationship with Christ is the only way to do it. Let's close in prayer. Father, I thank You for the Word that You've given us here. I thank You for the pattern that You've that You've given us to live by from Scripture. You've given us a perfect example in Christ. It's not unclear how we need to live, Father. It's clear that we need to be selfless, we need to be giving to others, and we need to esteem others more highly than ourselves. I pray that You would burden our hearts for this, Father. Help us not to just take this and lay it aside, but burden our hearts for this, God. Only through this can we be unified as believers, God, to be intent on one purpose, to glorify You. I thank You for the men that sang this morning and their commitment, Father, to just worshiping You and leading others in worship. I pray that You would just go before us, Father, and help us to apply this teaching to our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. You're dismissed.